podcast listeners, this is Angie Lewis. Be prepared to get inspired at this week's podcast by the Westchester Church. State Farm's mission is to score all the touchdowns. We went to a Bon Jovi concert. Enjoy. Enjoy. In, 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 enjoy. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It was the summer of 1977 in New York City where there had been a lightning storm. And during this lightning storm, there was a power station near the Hudson River that had been shut down as a result of this storm and the lightning strikes. What had followed this is known of as the blackout of 1977, where at least for, for one entire night, New York City was an absolute, as we see it here in the picture, in total darkness. A very strange visual seeing New York City completely in the dark. And yet this also happened in the exact same summer as there was a financial crisis at the time, as well as as a serial killer who was running loose, who was a son of Sam, as, um, as you might recall. And yet when the lights went out in New York, Everything that I've read about it says that that it was chaos unfolding in the streets, looting and so forth. There were 35 blocks of Broadway said to be engulfed in flames, 500 police officers injured. And it just seems like when the lights go out, this is what we as people are known to resort to when we behave this way in the dark. And the mayor at the time of New York, Abe Beam, had referred to it as a night of violence and of terror. And yet again, we are reminded of the things that we are capable of doing in the dark. This only happened for just one night in New York City many years ago. But we know that this world that we live in is a very, very dark world. In fact, at times, I feel as if we might be in denial of how dark it is at times, or desensitized to just how exactly dark this world is. And it's been this way ever since the the very start of time, where we remember at the creation, even before there had been a world spoken into existence, we know that this world was complete and utter darkness, just like this, even more dark than this. And yet as God begins creating this this world, he creates sun and he creates a moon, he creates stars. And now all of a sudden we have the light shining in the darkness. We remember the Israelites multiple times when they were in Egypt. As they dealt with the darkness of slavery, over 400 years of slavery, as as they also had dealt with the darkness of an emperor whose name was Pharaoh. And how we read on one occasion, as he refuses to let the Israelites go, God allows a plague to come upon Egypt. It was a plague of darkness. And and the way that God describes this kind of darkness and this plague is that it was a darkness which could be felt. It was so dark when this plague fell upon Egypt 
that it says that they could not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. That is very dark right there. Where it's so dark 24 hours a day, over and over again, you can't see your own hand in front of your face. And yet even as it was this dark in the land of Egypt, it says that for all of God's children, the Israelites, it says that they had a light shining in the midst of the darkness. Well, the last Pharaoh says, okay, okay, I will let your people go. And so they begin heading out of Egypt and they are just about to reach into the wilderness. They are on the very border of the wilderness. When it says that there is a great <laughs> darkness. It's nighttime as they are, are walking on foot. And yet for God's followers, it says that the Lord was going before them in a pillar of fire by night so that he could give them light, that they might travel by night. It says that he did not take away this pillar of fire by night from before his people. And so even though there is night falling upon the Israelites, there was a light shining in their darkness. And yet the greatest example afar of darkness and light contrasted is when our Lord was nailed to a cross. We know that he spent six hours writhing in pain on that cross. The first three hours, 9 a.m. until noon, it looked exactly as it does now. And the sun was shining. It was beautiful outside. And yet, in a miraculous way, those last three hours Jesus spent on the cross, noon until 3 p.m., there was a strange dark that had settled. And at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it looked as if it were midnight. And as we did our absolute worst, and Jesus died in the darkness, nevertheless, there was a light shining in the midst of the darkness. And everybody here knows what, what that kind of a dark is like. We've been through things where it was a darkness and it was a pain which could be felt. It wasn't just dark. It wasn't just a little bit painful, but I mean, it was a darkness that we could actually feel in our bones. Now, a person spends just about his entire life with, with no self-esteem who lapses in and out of depression episodes, that, that is a darkness that can be felt. When you have a spouse who suddenly dies, when you have a parent who dies, when you have a child who dies, or, or your very closest friend dies, that is a darkness that can be felt. And, and I find it interesting how often in Scripture, words like night, darkness, and dark are really metaphors which are keynoting sin, or which are, are keynoting absolute rock-bottom sadness and despair. We remember how just before Judas leaves the upper room, and he has the bread, and, and he has that moment with, with Jesus as they dip that bread, and it says that as Judas leaves that room, it says, oh, and by the way, it was night. That is a very intentional, a very poetic way of saying that Satan had entered inside Judas's heart. That there were things inside Judas's heart that, that were not from the light, but were full of darkness. Because it was night. And this is a very dark world that we are living in here. 
And yet as Jesus came into our world, Jesus brought something far greater than even our darkness ever conceived of being. And that is as the prophet Isaiah prophesies about Jesus, as Jesus is in full fulfillment of this prophecy. As Jesus is born, it says that, that the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them a new light now has dawned in the midst of our darkness. And yet then one day Jesus comes along and he's speaking to a bunch of Pharisees. And notice what he says as he says that, I am the light of the world. All this time you have been sitting in darkness and now the light is here before you. And here's how to get this light. He says, he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of this world. And as he says, light of the world, in the original language, it is the word phos, which means radiance. It means illumination. It means a fire which is burning. And we know Jesus is the light of the world. That's, I mean, that goes without saying, right? And yet then, before Jesus even makes this statement, though, he drops a bombshell on us. When in our text on the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, starting at verse 14, here's what Jesus says to us. At the very beginning of his ministry, before he said, I am the light of the world, he says this. Matthew 5 and verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and place it underneath a bowl, but instead he puts it up on the stand, and it gives light to everyone who is in the house. Therefore, he says, let your light shine. When Jesus says he is the light of the world, it means radiance, it means fire, it means luminosity, it means illumination. But when he says you are the light of the world, he's using this, this really same exact word. He's saying that you are the radiance of this world. You can illuminate this world. You are fire burning in the darkest of the night. And I just find it remarkable that, that, that Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world, and now he's announcing we are too. We share something with Jesus in that we bring light to this world wherever we are to go. We remember how, how the Hebrew writer is describing Jesus as the book of Hebrews opens. As it says, but the sun is the radiance of God's glory, and he is the exact representation of the being of God the Father. Jesus here is saying, you also are the radiance of the glory of my Father. And we could chew on that truth for the rest of our lives and still not even scratch the surface. Because I don't know about you, but it's been a while before I've looked in the mirror and I thought to myself, you are the radiance of God's glory. I mean, I know Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, but I mean, I've never looked in a mirror until now and said, you also are the light of the world. You also are the radiance of God's glory. And the cool thing about this word foes, P-H-O-S, it is a word from, from where we get our, our own word of a photograph. So what this means is that as Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's saying you are pictures. 
You are snapshot images of Jesus Christ. We are his pictures. And for a very long time, when a woman gets married, for the rest of her life, her name is going to be what her husband's name is, right? As a man that got married, her name was no longer Amanda Smith, it was Amanda Creek. And what this signifies is that I belong to him and he belongs to me, and now we are no longer two, but now we are one. We are one being together. And I know that nobody in this church is ever going to actually go through with this. But imagine if every single Christian from the moment that they came up from the waters of baptism changed their last name to Christ. Where we're introducing ourselves to a person, hi, I'm, I'm Bob Snuffleupagus, and, and our response is, hi, I'm Jerry Christ. Hi, I'm Mary Ann Christ. We would get some crazy looks, wouldn't we? You need to keep your eye on that fellow right over there. He's calling himself Christ. We need to get that guy a straitjacket, right? That's how that would come across. And yet, at the same time, I kind of wish that we would change our last name to Christ. Now, it's not in the sense that, that we are God himself, obviously. It's not in the sense that, that we are a Messiah to, to you know, the world. But what I do mean is that it is in the sense that, that as his sons and daughters, we are bearing his name as Christians. We are brand new, new creations made in the image of Jesus Christ, and we are bearing his name, whether we know it, everywhere that we go as his followers. Now, if the darkness and if night are metaphors for sin or for death or for despair, then, then light, as Jesus says it, this is a metaphor for, for new life, for vision, and for peace. These are the things which can make a night and day difference in our world in a literal sense. Because whether, whether or not we know it, everybody who we encounter throughout the day, if it is our co-workers, if it is our, our relatives, our children, they are being given an image of Jesus Christ. And the Jesus Christ who our co-workers see, who our neighbors and relatives see, is the gospel according to Claude Christ. It is the gospel according to Tracy Christ. It is the gospel according to, to me, David Christ. But really what Jesus is speaking about here, and we saw it a couple weeks back, he makes a declaration. He says that you are the salt of the earth. And really what, what that statement is revolving around is his Beatitudes. He says, if you will incorporate my Beatitudes into your everyday life, then that is going to bring flavor and longevity into lives in this world. And now, now, now in that same exact way, he says light. He says that, that we are the light of the world because... Just as he gave us light so that we could see where we're going. He has also given us light so that we, can, we ourselves can be that light. So that others around us won't have to remain in the darkness just like us. 
I remember many years ago when, when I was at seminary, there was a new song at the time called Here I Am to Worship. I don't know if you've ever heard this song, but it begins and it says, Light of the world, you step down into the darkness. And I've sung that song for so many years, but last week I finally understood a much more real meaning to those, those words. I knew that those words were referring to Jesus, obviously. But those words are also about you and me. Light of the world, you step down into the darkness. Open our eyes, let us see. This is what Jesus wants for us as we encounter other people in this world. We are radiant by association. And yet the thing about shining for Jesus, as well as light itself, is that light does not shine on accident. But rather what Jesus is referring to here is very deliberate, very intentional spiritual luminosity. As he says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, everybody's going to know that hill is there because it's going to be illuminated in the nighttime. Everybody's going to be able to instantaneously recognize that is a city and it's on a hill. That is a Christian. That is a person who is living with these strange things called beatitudes, gentleness, peacemaking. This is a follower of Jesus Christ. And they're able to immediately recognize that from us. Secondly, Jesus also says about a lamp. And he says that there's no one who lights a lamp and conceals that light, but rather they, they um, are displaying and broadcasting every ray of that light, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And yet the biggest word Jesus uses in our text this morning is, of course, the very smallest word, and it's the word let. He says, let your light shine before men. And what we see in this is that shining really is a choice that we make in a moment and to shine for jesus is to to choose and to decide to keep the electricity on inside the house we know that if we want to have light in our actual homes we have to pay the power bill or it's going to get shut off jesus wants us to keep the lamp on and to have that lamp on and to keep it on wherever we're going to go. And yet the way that this happens is, as we've already seen in John 8, Jesus says, he who follows me is going to have this light. So we obviously must, must follow after Jesus. But later on in John, he also says in chapter 12 that, that I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in the darkness. And so when we follow after Jesus and when we truly are, are trusting and believing in him, Jesus says, you are going to have this light inside of you. And it reminds me of a statement that the Apostle Paul makes in one of his letters. He says that, that I believe and therefore I spoke. And I think that is such a powerful statement because if I read that right, is that a failure to ever speak about Jesus is, is a very strong indication that we really don't believe in Jesus after all. I believe and therefore this is why I'm speaking. 
And yet, when it comes to us being lights for Jesus Christ, I believe that this really is applicable in all kinds of ways. That I believe that Jesus is the love of the world, and so, so I love everybody who I see. That I believe, and therefore I have joy in a world of despair. That I believe, and therefore I forgive, and I'm honest, even if it's to a fault. And yet the reason why Jesus speaks about salt and light, though, is really his, his main point is, is that you, you are the salt of the world. And yet, as we saw two weeks ago, the, that salt can, can also lose its saltiness. If that salt loses its ability to actually be salt, it's not good for anything, Jesus says, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And in this exact same way, light can also be snuffed out. And we see this in a number of ways in Scripture. We remember how in John's epistle, John says, if you hate your brother or sister in Christ, you're not walking in the light. You have darkness inside of you. So if we hate our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are ashamed of the gospel of Christ, this actually extinguishes that flame that is burning in the night. It conceals his light underneath a bowl. And at that point, it's useless, Jesus is saying. It's not good for anything. And yet there is another part of what Jesus says here about light that, that I've never really concentrated on until just the other day. Do you notice how Jesus speaks about light inside of a house? And it just dawns on me that that really long before we go to anybody else in this world trying to be Jesus' light to them, it must always start and end in our own families. And this is true none other than, than for me myself as a minister. Because long before I ever stand here and I speak and I teach others in church, I first have to, to actually practice all of these things inside my own house in my marriage, in my relationships with, with everybody who I encounter. Really, nobody should see the light of God in us more than our spouses, our children, whoever we happen to share a house with. It really should begin in our homes. And then after that, it really should, should extend into our churches. Because Jesus said, once this church or rather once this world sees his church loving each other like this, letting our light shine amidst one another in the church, then it's going to really take notice that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And yet the coolest thing about shining for Jesus is what he says in the latter part of verse 16. You see, we shine... And we want to shine everywhere that we go because this has a power to make believers out of agnostics. Jesus says, let your light shine, therefore, so that men and the world, seeing your good deeds, might glorify your Father who is in heaven. And as he says glorify, it's a word which means to, to honor and to praise someone or something, but it also means to render somebody awestruck where they are seeing something unfolding before their eyes and it, it just disorients them. And they just think, wait a minute, what is, 
wait a minute, I've never seen this before. I mean, what am I even looking at right now? It's so incredible. Jesus says this is how we are to shine for him. And so when we take his beatitudes into this world and we make it a part of our everyday lives, this is going to leave some people awestruck. Thinking, I've never seen anybody live like that before. I've never seen anybody respond to whatever this is in this way. I've got to know who this person is and why they are living in this way. And really what this shows me is that I think the world has had enough of Christians speaking down to them. I think if there were a mantra of the world for the church, it would be show me before you start telling me. Show me, don't just tell me about it. And I know about this church um, in West Texas. It is um, a Richland Hills Church of Christ. And I'd heard that this church is so has such a presence in this community in, in um, helping and in being a light in the city that, that cops and that city officials, mayors and governors came to this church and said, we need your input about this program and about this because of your reputation in this community. It left them awestruck about the way that they have compassion for people who they don't even know. All of these strange and unusual ways that they, they love other people non-christians came to the church and said show us how to run this city pretty much and i just marvel at that you see our only ambition as as the people of god should be to glorify him in such a way that people in the world who had never given god any thought any time before in their lives might marvel at what they are witnessing and to actually praise god because they have first seen him in our action and in our conduct. See, our job is not to strong arm or to coerce anybody into joining a religion or into converting to a denominational church. Our mission is not to tell the world who they need to vote for. But our one supreme purpose, the reason why we woke up this morning, our one responsibility is to just shine in a world of darkness. Jesus says, let your light shine so that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. And there's something else incredible about this, as Jesus says, let your light shine. Is that when he says shine, this is the identical word which is describing Jesus. As he's on the mountain and he's being transfigured, his face is shining like the sun. Everybody is just staring at him, gazing into his face because of how brightly his face is shining as he's transfigured. And now Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. Go and be transfigured spiritually by conduct, by attitude, however it is. When we live this way, when they see Jesus blazing out of our hearts and out of our words and out of our actions, it is as if we ourselves are undergoing a transfiguration and this world is going to be amazed sometimes. Not always, but it's going to be amazed sometimes. Even though the world did not receive God when he came, 
even though men love the darkness rather than his light, there will be times, according to our Lord, when even atheists and even agnostics and even unbelievers are going to say, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, in many other words. And yet he also says that when they see your good deeds, they will praise and glorify God. Now, of course, this is not some, some hypocritical way. As we will see very soon in this series, scribes and Pharisees, everybody look at me. I'm giving all of this money. Look at all of my good deeds and, and praise and glorify God because of me. That's, that's really not what Jesus is saying here. And yet, what I believe Jesus wants more than anything is what we read in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. We're going to be here for, for only a moment, but it is a verse that, the very first time I read this verse, I had to do a double take because it seemed like it was a typo that the publisher had accidentally botched when they had published my copy of the Bible. At the very end of Galatians chapter 1, Paul is reminiscing on his path to becoming a Christ follower. And he says in chapter 1 of Galatians, and starting in verse 22, he says, "...that I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing that he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy." And then he makes the statement, where he says, and they were glorifying God, and it was because of me. I thought that was, was a typo the very first time I read that, because I thought, is Paul being kind of arrogant here? Is he kind of being egotistical that he's taking credit that they were glorifying God? I mean, if you notice, he does not say that they were glorifying God simply because of Jesus, or because... God's Holy Spirit had given him the um, ability to connect to those people. But rather what he says is they were praising God because of me. Me, myself, and I. And he does not say because of God. And yet at the same time, I believe Paul is saying that they were praising God. It was because of God. And that's because as, as even Christians looked at the way that, that the Apostle Paul now had been living, it left them awestruck. They had thought of all people, why would Saul of Tarsus start preaching Christ? Even non-Christians in this time, it was very strange, and they're, they're just awestruck about it. And notice what happens when we shine this radically and this dramatically compared to who we used to be. It says, and they were glorifying God because of all people because of me. You see, Christianity is not about 10 to 11 on Sunday morning. But Christianity is about displaying our own individual Christness. So that a skeptical post-Christian society will praise him. And yes, because of you and me. Because they see Jesus in the way that we're living. And so as we bring this to a close this morning, I just want to ask us the question, how will this world praise God because of us? And I just want to recommend something to us that, that sounds so simple, 
And yet it has such a seismic impact in our world and in our society. And that is, I just want you to, to go one entire work shift tomorrow without complaining one time. Or wherever you might be, whatever conversations we're going to have tomorrow, go the entire length of the day without once complaining or arguing about anything. And I guarantee you, you will shine for Jesus. And the reason why I say this is because as Paul writes um, a church in, or um, as he writes Philippians, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be pl- or blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Notice then, if you will do this, he says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And so not only are we a light bulb inside of a lamp, and yet we are also stars that shine in a black sky. We remember all the way back in the book of Genesis, God is speaking to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to look up into the sky. I want you to to, um, count the stars if you can. Of course he can. There are a lot of stars in the sky. And we know that in a literal sense that that he had many ancestors after that and that was what God was speaking about. And yet in a spiritual sense, did you know that, that as God says that, he's also speaking about us? If we will live this way and just simply not, not argue or complain wherever we might go tomorrow, we will shine like a star in the sky. And lastly, the way that that I'm going to respond to this message is every other week, our city has meetings. And I'm going to begin going to these meetings every other week. I'm not going to go because I want to have arguments with anybody or to let the city know how they need to run the city. I'm not going to do that. Yet the reason why I'm going to these meetings is because, in addition to many other ways I'm trying to learn, I want to to learn what the deepest wounds of this city are. And once I learn what these wounds are, I'm going to do everything that I can, and we as a church, with God's power, to address all of these wounds where we are able to. And we will shine as stars in the sky. We do not need to worry about being a a, um, city or a hill or even a house. All Jesus wants us to be is a light bulb inside of a lamp or a star in the sky or a light slowly scanning the, the waters out of a watchtower late at night on the ocean. Let your light shine, Jesus says, so that they, seeing your good deeds, might glorify your Father who is in heaven. I sang to the people in Russia as they were searching for the truth. Their eyes were so cold and empty from the eldest to the youth. What a privilege I had. I sing of the Christ, His compassionate life of a home He's prepared above, and they praise God. God. Praise God.
the people in Africa, some who didn't have food to eat. In the depths of full-blown poverty, most were living out in the street. What a thrill to deliver the gospel to a people who are so distressed. Holding back the tears and the cultural fears, overwhelmingly I was impressed. And they Because of a cross and a savior's love, still deliver mankind gone wrong. 